Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Matt Lewoyne. If we've not met before, um, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor uh, here of Liberty Church. Uh, it's an honor to have you with us this morning, really, for whatever reason you find yourself here. I'm just grateful to have a few moments together today. Uh, if you have Bibles, you can go ahead and make your way to Matthew chapter 13. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, uh, that's going to be page 819. Uh, I sometimes have the opportunity, it's, it's rare it seems, but sometimes I have the opportunity to really step back and just kind of take stock of what God has done uh, in my life, around my life, over the past five years. So it was five years ago this month that I actually began phone and email dialogue with a guy named Steve Huber. Uh, and many of you know who Steve is. Uh, if, you, if you don't, if you've never met Steve, Steve is a pastor of Liberty Church East in Philadelphia, the church that planted us. Steve is the director of the Liberty Church Network. And so five years back, uh, I was living in Kansas City, and I was feeling this really strong pull back toward the northeastern United States um, where I grew up. I grew up in in New Jersey. And I started to explore. Don't hold that against me, please. I don't know. I started to explore what what God was doing in this part of the country. And and as I began my search uh, through a a church plan network called Redeemer City to City, I came across this church network called the Liberty Network. And as I continued to explore, I really liked what I saw. I liked what I saw on their website. I liked what I read about them and some of the the messages that I listened to online. So I sent these couple random emails to pastors of of Liberty Churches. Uh, I remember Shay, vividly I remember this, Shay coming home, uh, from work that day and asking me, and I explained to her, like, this is, these are the emails that I sent today. And, uh, and I remember her telling me very wisely, like, I, I hope you don't think that constitutes a job search. Like, you can't just send a couple random emails to people you've never met before and, like, hope that's going to lead to something. Um, and yet, what I did not come to find out until months and months after that was that at the very moment that I hit send on that email... Uh, Steve and the other elders of the, at that time there were three Liberty Churches, there are now ten, at that time there were three, the elders of those churches were away at a combined elders retreat, and one of the specific things that they were doing on that retreat was praying very boldly, very intentionally, for what what the next step would be in in the city of Harrisburg, in the region of, of Harrisburg. There were a few families at that point that were connected to the Liberty Church Network, praying about, um, dreaming about, planning, what would it look like to see a church planted in, in this region? And so I'm convinced to this day the only reason that I got any kind of response back from this random email I sent was because it was at the exact moment that those elders were away uh, together praying for that. So every now and then, as I mentioned, I get to like kind of just, just sit with that and step back and kind of marvel at what God has done in those five years since. Um, next month, a few weeks from now, it'll be five years since the, the first time that Chad and I ever set foot on the ground in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I'd never been here before visiting to then move here. Uh, and then fast forward a few more months in September, it'll be five years since we actually showed up on the ground. And I'm convinced that like, if I were actually able to, and, and did this more intentionally, to step back and, and take stock of these things from time to time, um, I would be a more humble person. Uh, I would be a, a, a wiser person. Uh, I would be more grateful to God in my life. And I don't know that if you get the opportunity to do that sometimes, just to, just to think about the big picture. Like, what is God doing in the world? And what is God doing in my life? And what is God doing around me? 
how does God accomplish uh, what he's going to accomplish in the world? Like these huge questions. You ever get to wrestle with those? And why do we sometimes set out to do these great things for God's kingdom and find out that God is going to do a lot more work in us than we thought he was going to do all this work through us and he ends up doing so much more work in us? That's a huge part of how I've seen God work in my life and around my life over these past five years. And, and that's my story. That's part of my story. That story intersects with the story of, of many here, and especially those people who were there in the, the early days of the life of Liberty Church. And now, ultimately, uh, it's part of your story. You know, whether you've been here four minutes or four years, and whether you stay for 40 years or like another 40 seconds, because I'm freaking you out a little bit, <laughs> that's part of your story now. Our stories intersect in this. And it's just amazing to me to step back sometimes and think about that and think about all these instances of how God has worked in each of our lives to bring us to, a, to a, an intersecting moment. Now, in case you're starting to wonder, this is not some kind of like uh, announcement or like goodbye sermon. I was, I'm sensitive to the fact that it might sound like that. It's actually the opposite of that. Um, I am completely confident that God has me exactly where he wants me to be. And, and Shay and I together just feel like we have really deep roots here in a relatively short period of time uh, we get really excited and encouraged to think about if God would be so kind as to give us a lot of years with you uh, and with this church and in this region, like we would love nothing more than that. So why do I share all of this? I, I just want to encourage you. I think it's really essential for us at times to step back, to slow down, to try to catch a glimpse of some of this big picture work that God is doing. Right? How are we caught up in this huge cosmic redemptive work of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? He is reconciling the world to himself. Where do we find ourselves in that? How are we caught up in that? And where do we get to perceive that at work in us and around us? So even though we officially ended our, our series in Matthew um, last week, we're going to spend one more Sunday in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, next week, we're going to start a new series in the Old Testament book of Jonah. And I'm really excited about this series. Jonah is a, a relatively short book. We'll get to cover it um, beginning to end over those five weeks. Uh, it is a short book, but it is packed with a lot of really good stuff about God rescuing the rebel, um, God rescuing the self-righteous. Um, so, so make plans if you haven't already to be here with us for that series. But for today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. And we've been here once before in this series. It's a chapter that's really full of Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom, you'll remember this if you've been with us, God's kingdom is not so much a place as it is the rule and reign of God. And we learn from the Gospels, we learn from the New Testament accounts that it's Jesus' entry into the world that inaugurates this kingdom. And then this kingdom is going to come to its complete fulfillment when Jesus comes again. So in these few verses that we're going to look at today, Jesus teaches us about specifically uh, how the kingdom of God grows. How does the kingdom of God advance? And so we'll look at that, and then scattered throughout this, you'll hear just a little bit of of my own uh, heart and my passions, my hopes for who we are as a church and who we'll become uh, as a church. So follow along with me as I read Matthew 13, 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven 
that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that we would today have the opportunity to consider your work in the history of the world, your work in the history of our own lives, your work at present, and the work that you will do in the days ahead. We pray you would help us just to to step back, to slow down, to to get outside of the noise of all the flurry of activity and busyness that that consumes our lives, that dulls our senses, that, that keeps us from perceiving you. Would you just in these few moments that we have together, give us uh, open eyes, give us open ears. Help us to perceive uh, how your kingdom grows, how your kingdom advances. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or like yeast. These are the two pictures that Jesus uses here in these words to describe how God's kingdom grows. Before we dig into some of the specifics about how that happens, let's first see this. The kingdom of God does indeed grow. It grows. It starts as something tiny, starts as something seemingly insignificant like a seed, and it grows into something that is expansive, something that is pervasive. And we see that play out in the the life of Jesus. Jesus is born into obscurity. He's born to poor parents. He's born into a feeding trough. He also leaves the world in relative obscurity. He, he rises from the dead. He triumphs over death. That's not obscure. But you see this picture of him ascending back into heaven. He's on this mountain with his disciples, as we looked at last week. The 11 of them are gathered around. And when you think about it, he leaves, he leaves the church. He leaves the future of this whole thing in the hands of these 11 guys who when you read the accounts about their lives, you think about their skill set and their character and their personality, like any business person would tell you, that is a terrible strategic plan. That that is not the way that you should do this, Jesus. That's what people would say. It's not wise. These guys, I don't know if they're going to make it or not. We even read last week in that account of Jesus ascending back into heaven. They see him as the resurrected Jesus. They see him alive again. And it says, but some doubted. But some doubted. That's who the church church has left in their hands. Now fast forward 2,000 years, though, and no one has impacted the shape of the world more than Jesus Christ. And whether you say that from a a faith-based perspective or really just a purely historical perspective, it's impossible to deny the impact that this one life had through both his haters and those who follow him. So before we ever talk about how we get to participate in the ongoing growth of God's kingdom, I think it's really important for us to remember how much of this is already in the rearview mirror for you and me. You and I are caught up in something massive, something that is so much bigger than ourselves. And because we're naturally so self-centered, we tend to approach Scripture with this desire to immediately apply it to our own lives. And there's something that's really good about that. Don't hear me knocking that completely. There's some real good that comes from seeking to apply Scripture to our lives. We need to do that. But in this case, if we read this and we only look forward, we only think about how you and I can then take something small like a mustard seed and grow it into something large we're going to miss how much fulfillment of that has already taken place. Last week, Jacob Kim, a pastoral resident for our network, was here. He did a great job teaching about Jesus' great commission uh, from Matthew 28. There's a parallel passage to that great commission that we find in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to be his witnesses 
in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, a lot of us in this room uh, are Christians. A lot of us in this room have been around the church for probably a lot of years. So I'm, I'm guessing that many of you have heard that passage talked about at some point in your past. And if you've heard it talked about, you've probably also heard it talked about in a very personalized way. So Jesus gives his disciples this commission. And then the way we tend to apply that is we think, okay, well, what's my Jerusalem? Okay, that's the, the city that I live in. And what's my Judea? That's the region around me, the people that are more similar to me, maybe socioeconomically or, or racially or whatever. Uh, Samaria, region around me, but a little bit more distant in terms of the type of people that I'm interacting with. And then the ends of the earth, that's global missions. We, we personalize it in our application. But see, here's the thing. When Jesus actually said that to his disciples, the gospel had not moved forward for all of those places. Where are we in Acts chapter 1? You and I are the ends of the earth. Right? We are the ends of the earth. So I, I, I appreciate the desire to like personalize the call, but let's not miss how much fulfillment of that has already taken place. Now, as we see our place in this, as we then seek to be people of God's kingdom who advance the kingdom even more, I hope that brings two things to us. I hope it brings both humility and boldness. So when we see just how much God has already done in the history of the world and how much his kingdom has already come and how much his kingdom has already grown, there's no way for you and I to be arrogant about that. There's no way for you and I to take credit for that because we are caught up into something that we had no control over. We could not bring that ourselves. But as that humbles us, it also is meant to fuel incredible boldness. Right? Look how much God has accomplished. And however dim or dark it may have been in the history of the world for a given year or a given decade or even a given century, the kingdom of God has been advancing. And the kingdom of God is advancing. And God is doing this work and the gates of hell don't stand against it as Jesus establishes his church. So God's kingdom does indeed grow. And that's the first and most important thing for us to see from these words. But then the next question is, how? What is the nature of this growth? The pictures of a mustard seed, the picture of leaven, they illustrate a couple of important answers to that. So for one, God's kingdom grows both visibly and invisibly. It grows visibly, it grows invisibly. Uh, the growth of a, of a mustard seed into a large plant, that's visible growth. You watch that plant become large. And that's one type of, of growth. Leaven or yeast is different. It ultimately is going to have a huge and visible impact on the final product. But in the meantime, it's invisible. As Jesus says, it gets hidden into the flower. And God's kingdom grows both of these ways. Some of the effects of the growth of God's kingdom are immediately obvious. They're immediately perceivable. But other times, maybe even more often, they're not. Other times, the growth is more of an invisible permeation. But we tend to attach significance to only one of those, do we not? I know that I'm prone to that. Like, I'm impatient. And I like to see immediate results from the things that I apply myself to. If I'm, if I'm going to put uh, time and energy, if I'm going to pour myself out, if I'm going to pour my life out into something, and maybe you can resonate with this, I want to see something happen from that. I want it to have an impact. And it's a lot easier to know that there's an impact happening when there's something visible taking place. Now that affects our view of God's kingdom and the role that we play in it. If we're only valuing one of these things and not the other, right? Uh, and this desire to see something visible means that, you know, as we think about it in terms of the church or God's kingdom, we want to do something amazing. 
for God's kingdom. We want to do something radical. We want to do something spectacular. Right? We want to plant a mustard seed and then watch it grow into this huge plant. And there's something that's really good and really right about that. that God's kingdom does grow visibly. Jesus is teaching that. And we want other people to see it. We want other people to see the kingdom of God grow. And we want them to see it so that they'll be intrigued by that and they'll be compelled to actually experience it and enter it themselves. But the question is, do we believe it's still significant if and when the growth is invisible? Right? And will we consider our lives a waste if we are the yeast that permeates invisibly rather than the mustard seed that grows visibly? This, for me, challenges me uh, really deeply. And, and really, my hope is that it would, it would also challenge each one, of, each one of you this morning. Because on the one hand, I want us to be a community a part of God's kingdom, who sees more and more people put their faith in Jesus. Let us be a church where more people put their faith in Jesus and more people are baptized and we get to celebrate with them. Let us be a church where more people are invited to be truly known in meaningful and authentic relationships. Uh, Let us be a church, not just that was planted one day by another church or another network, let us be a church that actually sees more churches planted And let us be a group of people that is more and more a blessing to this region in which we live and work and play. By the grace of God, may we be known as a group of people. May the connotation of Liberty Harrisburg be that we are here to serve and bless the people and the places of this region, that this city and region would flourish because we're here. That's a lot of visible, perceivable growth in my heart there. It's a lot of that. And, and a lot of my motives in that, I, I think, are good. They're for the glory of God. They're for the good of people. Mixed in with that is impatience and my own pride and my desire for immediate and observable results. So at the same time, recognizing that God's kingdom doesn't just grow visibly and broadly like that, but it also grows deeply. Let's recognize that. It, it grows deeply. It permeates. And God's kingdom saturates every facet and aspect of life. And by definition, when you think about depth, the depth of something, you don't see depth very often. It's actually a lot like yeast. It's, it's perceivable in the end result. Just like yeast, you see the result in the flour when the, when the bread rises at the end and doesn't just stay a cracker. Right? You see depth as it plays itself out in people's lives, but in the, in the immediate future, you don't see depth. So may we also experience and then propel forward this invisible growth of God's kingdom. Let's be a church who sees men and women loved well in the everyday things of life. It's like growing up, going from childhood to adulthood, like choosing a vocation, like getting married, like not getting married, like parenting or serving the next generation in some way, like through, through the everyday things like working, and working not just to earn a paycheck, not just to give money away so that other people can, can do significant things, but working because working in and of itself is a way that we image the God who made us. And how about this for an example of that? Let's be a people of repentance and faith. Right? These things are powerful. They require the powerful work of God's kingdom just as much as the visible growth does. And think about the, the seemingly simple yet everyday radical example it is and evidence of God's kingdom it is when in light of the mercy and forgiveness we've received from Jesus, we look someone else in the eye and we ask for their forgiveness or we offer forgiveness to someone who has hurt us. 
you asked me 10 years ago what's significant about the kingdom of God, and I would have talked about church planting movements, I would have talked about global missions, and I still believe all of that stuff. 10 years down the road, when someone genuinely offers forgiveness to another person, I go, that is the power of God at work. That is the kingdom of God working. And it might be a lot less visible than these other things, but man, that is the power of God at work. I love how an author named Craig Barnes put this. I really captured this well. He said this. After wasting far too many years trying to do the spectacular, it's finally occurred to me that God loves routine. All of creation holds together by the same things happening again and again. Whether those are great things, like planets revolving around stars, or very small things like electrons going around and around their nucleus. And with each rotation, year after year, through winter, spring, summer, and fall, if you are paying attention, you can almost hear the doxology. The doxology is the song that we sing every week when we start our worship service. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Similarly, we are not asked to be other than, than a part of this created order who get up, go to work, care for children, make meals, do laundry, pay bills, go to bed, only to rise the next morning and do it all again. That's not an invitation to laziness. That's not an invitation to neglect the great commission that Jesus puts on his disciples. It is an invitation to see both the visible and the invisible growth of God's kingdom. And sometimes we'll see the visible growth and sometimes we won't. But faithfulness to Jesus is this active pursuit of seeing that growth of God's kingdom both visibly and invisibly. Now, in addition to the kingdom being both visible and invisible, what we learn here from this parable is that God's kingdom is both creative and subversive. It's creative and it's subversive. So as God's kingdom grows, some of that growth comes through the creation of new things. A mustard seed planted in the ground is creative. It creates a new plant that wasn't there before. But some of the growth is subversive. Rather than create something new, it transforms or it even subverts what is already there. So one way we can think about yeast, yeast subverts flour. Just a little bit of yeast transforms a lot of flour and it transforms it permanently. Three measures of flour, like Jesus references here, that's about 50 pounds of flour. And it would take just a tiny fraction of that in yeast to leaven the whole thing. So how does that translate into our involvement as God's people in the world today? Well, I really appreciate how an Old Testament scholar named Christopher Wright talks about this, thinks about this. In one of his books, which is called The Mission of God's People, Wright talks about how Christians are called to two things. They're called to both constructive engagement and courageous confrontation. Constructive engagement, courageous confrontation. Constructive engagement is is really about God's call on his people to be those who create and cultivate. We, We are people who are meant to contribute and to engage with the world, with the people and the culture around us. Uh, Through our work, we contribute to that. Through our art and our music and our poetry, we contribute to that. Through our relationships, we contribute to that. Through uh, businesses or restaurants or places we frequent, we contribute to that. We build new things. We start new companies. We start new organizations that are helpful and they serve the common good. And there's a lot of parallels to the mustard seed growth here in Matthew 13, right? It grows. It provides shade for people. It provides a a place for birds to make their nest. It serves the common good as it constructively engages with the world around it. What about the leaven, the yeast? 
It's fascinating to me that Jesus uses the picture of yeast to talk about the growth of God's kingdom. Because everywhere else in Scripture, the picture of yeast is used to talk about evil that corrupts and perverts. Right? Even in Jesus' own references, his other references. So the Israelites, they eat unleavened bread during Passover. It's a symbolic gesture of cleansing their house of evil, getting the evil out. The Apostle Paul warns uh, the church in Corinth that they should not tolerate even a little bit of leaven. Tolerating a little bit of evil has the ability to corrupt the entire church. And Jesus, even a few chapters after this, in Matthew 16, will tell his disciples, beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, beware of the ways in which these Jewish leaders have corrupted and perverted the teachings of God and missed really the heart of God and his work in the world. So if leaven is typically this picture of evil that corrupts, why use it to depict the growth of God's kingdom? And I think it's exactly because of this, because the men and women of God's kingdom are subversive. We're subversive. We, we live in a world that actively rebels against the God who created it. We live in a world that suppresses truth about God as the one who's created it. And it rejects God, and it rejects his goodness, and it rejects the work that he does. So as people enter God's kingdom, they then courageously confront and they counteract the rebellion and the fracture of sin that exists all around us. So the men and women of God's kingdom, here's a way to think about it, the men and women of God's kingdom are the rebellion against the rebellion. And Chris Wright speaks to this in in this one chapter in his book. He says this, If society becomes more corrupt and dark, it's no use blaming society. That's what fallen human nature does, left unchecked and unchallenged. The question to ask is, where are the Christians? Where are the saints who will actively live as saints? God's different people, God's counterculture in the public square. Where are those who see their mission as God's people to live and work and witness in the marketplace and pay the cost of doing so? So this is that dual call for those in God's kingdom. And this is what I hope characterizes us as the men and women of Liberty Church. May we leverage the goodness with which God created everything. That enables us to constructively engage our culture and to create. May we also, at the same time, combat the rebellion that exists against God. And may we push back what is dark in the world. And just like leaven, just like yeast permeates the flour and subverts it, may we subvert a society in rebellion to God by being agents of redemption, by being agents of reconciliation. Now let's bring all of this together as we close. This is the way that God's kingdom has grown in the past. And this is the way that God's kingdom is growing at present. This is the way God's kingdom will continue to grow in our day and beyond our day. It happens both visibly and invisibly. It happens both through creative works and subversive works. The kingdom of God is a lot bigger than Liberty Church. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. The kingdom of God is a ton bigger than Liberty Church. And at the same time, the kingdom of God is not less than the men and women of Liberty Church who have entered the kingdom. It's not less than us either. And one of the main reasons that I love the local church and am passionate about the local church and commit my life to serving in the local church is because every local church is an outpost of the kingdom of God. 
Every local church, every place there are people who have entered the kingdom of God by repenting and by believing in the finished work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, that becomes an outpost of the kingdom of God. That becomes an opportunity to embody this reign of God in the world. It becomes an opportunity to embody Jesus' prayer where he, where he prays, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So are we going to do something spectacular together as Liberty Church? I don't know. I don't know. If we make it to the five-year mark, which is this coming February, we'll have already uh, statistically done better than most church plants ever do. We'll have hit the survivability rate and then exceeded it if we hit five years. I think we might actually make it to five years by the grace of God. At the same time, in all statistical likelihood, a hundred years from now, we don't exist and nor does the memory of us. Because God's kingdom grows visibly and invisibly, though I very much believe God is doing powerful work and will do very visible work in us and through us and in this region, I'm becoming less concerned with what that has to look like outwardly. And because God's kingdom is both creative and subversive, I'm becoming more concerned with what it looks like to creatively engage and to courageously confront the culture in which God has placed us, the people and the neighborhoods, the workplaces, the governments in which God has placed us. So let these pictures and these words of Jesus really challenge your paradigm today. If you've given up hope that God's kingdom ever does make a a huge invisible impact, then think about, pull back, think about what even the last five years of your life have looked like, or the last 10 or 20 years of your life has looked like. If you have a really hard time seeing that because of where you are today, reach out and ask somebody else, locally, globally. Ask them where they have seen God do powerful work in the world and be encouraged by that. If, on the other hand, you're fixated on visible results, you're hung up on doing something that's spectacular and observable, then just remember that the kingdom of God grows invisibly and it permeates like yeast. And whether you prefer to constructively engage culture, whether that's your MO, which is probably the case for most of us, or if your MO is more to courageously confront culture, which is probably a few of us, but but far less, let's remember and be excited about the fact that the growth of God's kingdom comes not through one or the other, but both of those things. You and I, men and women, are caught up in something massive. Jesus entered into the world. He dwelt among us. He rescued us from the slavery of sin. He rose victoriously from the grave. And through him, ever since, the kingdom of God has advanced and is advancing. So as an outpost of that kingdom, may you and I be faithful in our day. May we experience and may we participate in the advance of the kingdom of God. Amen. And pray for us. What more significance could we ask for our life, Jesus, that you would catch us up in this great cosmic work that you were doing? You loved us, and so you came into the brokenness and mess of this world to rescue us. You ascended back to the Father after you rose from the dead. And you'll come again to complete reconciling the world to yourself. But you catch us up in that work and invite us to be the reconciled reconcilers. And you establish us as an outpost of your kingdom, 
And we pray that we would do that in a way that honors you and in a way that genuinely serves the good of the Harrisburg region. And we pray we'd contribute with our people and with our energy and with our money to that happening in other parts of this country and other parts of this world. Pray that you would free us from being so stuck on growth looking a certain way or being spectacular. We pray you would powerfully work in us in the everyday things of our lives. That your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, not just in these huge global type movements and churches being planted, although we want that too, but but work in our hearts invisibly, deeply. Make us people of depth. Make us people of repentance and faith. People of genuine love for one another and for this world that you love and you have placed us in. And as we come to this table, would you strengthen us to do what we cannot possibly do on our own? We are those completely dependent on you. You, Jesus, came into this world and established the beachhead of your kingdom. You establish outposts of your kingdom in light of that. So may we see that you have paid a great cost to rescue us, to bring us into your kingdom. And may we come today being strengthened and encouraged by that. I pray that in your name. Amen.